Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily. And I'm Margot. We are very excited today because Mandy Moore is releasing new music and touring, (laughs) and she's getting Emmy nominations, and Jessica Simpson is releasing an autobiography and an album, and... Well, isn't it like an audio book slash single? And her memoir is out. Open book? Yes, it is. Open book is out. And then it has like a companion audio, like a few songs that she has recorded. Original songs, new music. Which, But I feel like that's a bizarre way to release new music because how how am I supposed to listen to it if I I don't want to get the audio book? Say say I'm more of like, I, I am a person that likes to hold a book, right? I'm one of those annoying people. So what if I want to listen to the music, but I don't want to get the audio book? Do I just like redeem a free Audible feel, credit? And yeah. then and then what if I like the music? What if I want to listen to it more I, than just the one time? I have to feel like she's going to release an album version of this. It, I, I think the reason she did this is it's not enough material to have been an album standalone. But I think she, I have a feeling she'll release it separately. She innovated the shoe industry, and now she's yeah. innovating audiobooks and how music is consumed. So, so today, Jessica is a trailblazer. She's a trailblazer. We are tonight talking about... About, or today, whenever or today, you listen. Whenever you're listening, you know, we we're don't know. talking to the blonde about the other blonde pop stars of the late '90s and early 2000s. As you know, during our first season, we had an entire episode devoted to our queen, Britney Spears, queen icon, legend, queen icon, legend, better work, bitch. But we could not neglect the fact that there were so many other blonde pop stars during that time, and a few in particular really shined above them all. We are talking about Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, and Mandy Moore. So that's not like a ranking or anything, no, by no, the no, way. No, 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 no. I mean, I guess sort of like, I mean, Christina has sold probably the most out of the two For of them. Sure. But it's not any sort of ranking. No, no. I also like my, I mean, I don't know what we're going to end up titling this, but all my notes are called Three Blonde Pop Stars. <laughs> Mine are Jessica Simpson and Dirty Christina. Just that specifically, <laughs> with two R's nonetheless. Well, obviously. And that's also when she went by X Tina with an X. X and, and I took it personal since my name has an X. And I was like, no, everybody's going to fucking have X's in their names. That's my thing. 
Yeah, luckily I never did that. So I never I never hurt you <laughs> thousands of miles away. <laughs> you didn't intentionally. the E in your name? Like, I didn't swap it for an X at any point? I did make a joke at one point. My name, like, I was ta- I was listening to emo music one time. I was like, LOL, emo Lee. But that's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty good. I thought that's it was really bad. good, too. When it comes to puns, I mean, that could have been, like, an AIM screen name. It could have been a great AIM screen name. And it's or a live journal yeah. name. You didn't live use journal. that for live Sadly, journal? Sadly, Yellow Gummy Bear is what I went with, as we talked about many episodes ago. I know. It feels like one. I mean, it as soon as we do these episodes, I know, I know that. I, it's not to say that this isn't fun and that I don't enjoy it or I, I don't retain much. But as soon as we finish recording, like I have no idea what we said. But yeah. it's it's now over an hour of material, so yeah. we said stuff. We said stuff, y'all. The like prep to these episodes is just us like deep diving into so many thought pieces and hours of just reading those and finding you know what we think are great tidbits and. Yeah, after this, I it's like amnesia. I like have I have post podcast amnesia and completely forget what I am, we had just recorded. I am Cary Grant in North by Northwest. Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. No Hitchcock twist tonight, hopefully. No, no, no. I mean, unless the the, the twist will be that I'm gonna eat pasta after this. Oh, so yeah. plot twist. <laughs> Uh, don't remind me of my sad salad at home. Oh, I had a sad salad for lunch, so we're even. <laughs> So we're, I'm going to first kind of start out here by going into um, Jessica Simpson. But before I do, which one of these do you think was your favorite pop star at the time? I know you were a big Britney stan. But Obviously huge Britney. Yeah. I, I honestly really loved all of them. Yeah. It's, it, I liked all four. I think, you know, Britney was first, so she was obviously my favorite. But I loved Christina Aguilera. I, I actually, funnily enough, had this, like, I wouldn't say an argument with Sean the other day, but we watched the trailer for the new Mulan that's coming out. I'm like, well, oh, right. I'm like this Mulan isn't going to be shit. There's like no Christina Aguilera hitting like Whitney Houston notes. And then Sean's like, well, did reflection come out before Jeannie? I thought Jeannie came out first. I'm like, no, no. Her Get hitting right. that high note in the shower, that yes. Whitney Houston high note on is, I run to you is yes. exactly what launched <laughs> her career. Flat, motherfucker. Not, I, but I love Sean. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I probably would have said the same thing if I knew what note I was talking about, but, um, I, <laughs> I really loved Christina Aguilera, too. Gina the Bottle was, like, a total bop. But they, I also feel like her whole self-titled first album, I re-listened to it today, and it, I feel like it's just as good as before. Yeah. I would say Mandy Moore maybe slightly edges out Jessica Simpson just in the music department. Like, yeah. I like Jessica Simpson, but for me, she doesn't have a lot of hits that I return to listen to. Like, For sure. I listen to Candy at least once every three months just because I enjoy it. I think it's really enjoyable bubblegum pop. And also, I just really like Mandy Moore I mean, a lot. And we'll get into the Ryan Adams of it all. But um, I I really do enjoy her. And I probably have followed her career, especially, like, in acting because we were talking about how much we love Saved yeah. before we started recording. I probably followed her the most. Christina, it's For like sure. I've caught maybe a couple seasons of The Voice, but I don't follow along as closely as I do with Mandy Moore, who have like a strange like investment of like her being I, happy. Yeah, I think part of it with Mandy Moore, I will say, I think the reason why I too feel so much more invested in her life probably is because she was so close to us in age. Like she's yes. only three or four years older than us versus the other ones. Christina's like almost yeah. Christina's yeah, almost forty. They're both turning which forty. Which shocked Simpson, me. And Jessica Simpson was born in July of eighty, and then uh, Christina Aguilera December. was born in December of eighty. And then Brittany was born in eighty one or eighty. I forget. But either way, they're all either turning forty this year or next year. Right. And Mandy Moore's thirty five. Right. So she is. I, I think it, she was a little bit more relatable. It it is kind of hard to wrap my mind around her being like fifteen and 
touring and doing all this other stuff but so and that's if you put yourself in that position it's really weird to think about but she's also pretty well adjusted it seems like she and and honestly I think looking back now doing all this research on people's families like now knowing everything with Christina Aguilera's family and just the Simpsons family Mandy Moore also like I know she had personal stuff like she's talked about like you know well you'll get into it like she her family like I know her mom has come out, her brothers come out and like, so, but ultimately like her, her family has been pretty like good to her. There's been no kind of momager situation or abuse or things like that. Like I, I remember listening to her Mark Maron Mm -hmm. and, and it was like, she had a really pretty good upbringing and, and childhood. Like her parents, you know, eventually divorced. And I think both her parents are remarried, but ultimately she had a really kind of normal childhood yeah she wasn't a child star per se and I mean I her dad's a pilot I mean yeah. she's just as like kind of right, an aggressively right. normal person um I feel like Jessica Christina and Brittany all sort of blew up for different reasons whereas Mandy Moore has always kind of whether in music or in acting has sort of like managed to stay under the radar but also stay employed and like actively release music and well I mean except for in the last 10 years but actively continue to release music and be a part of projects so yeah she's always just sort of been around but I feel like you will get into us as in society not being so nice to Jessica Simpson for a lot of her career yeah so I'm gonna we're gonna start first with Jessica Simpson um just because you know she's been probably the one in the news the most in the last two three weeks especially releasing Mandy Moore might have a slight edge only only because literally today there was like a new article about I think she was talking like variety about going on tour after not going on tour for a long time so Jessica Simpson as we talked about earlier released her book on February 4th it's called Open Book and um, I'm really excited to read it I know you are too oh my god I can't wait that it's, and the Demi number one on the New York Times bestseller really yeah good for her I'm really happy for her between her shoe empire and a, becoming a New York Times bestseller author good for Jessica but yeah. her and Demi Moore's um, memoirs are the two at the top of my list of wanting to read because I think they also have like the best I want to say gossip, but I feel like that has a negative connotation, but I feel like they, you know, they spill the tea. They what do you want me to say? Tea, but in a classy way. <laughs> so I mean, I, it, they tell, they're not shy. I mean, they're no, not going to be cagey no. about it, which and is I what I don't like sometimes right. in the celeb coy, memoirs. I'm like, just give it up. Either don't write about don't it write at all. It or don't write it. Or tell the truth. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Just pick exactly. one. It's pick your one. book, yep. for fuck's sake. So Jessica was born in July 10th, 1980 in Abilene, Texas. Her father, Joe, is, was a psychologist and a Baptist minister. And her mom, He Tina, was a psychologist? Yes. I was just as shocked. <laughs> and what? Her mom, I mean, I didn't, there weren't any quote marks around that, but I'd like to check if the degree is real after this. Right. Yes. We Tina, need to do some, we need to call some offices in indeed, Texas. Indeed. Tina, her mom was a homemaker. And then of course she has a little sister, Ashley Simpson, now Ashley Simpson Ross. We've talked about it on the podcast before because she had her MTV show, The Ashley Simpson Show. She was born in 1984. Jessica grew up singing in church, and at the age of 12, she was given a purity ring by her dad, of course, a Baptist minister, to remain a virgin until marriage. I'm getting flashes because we just watched that episode of The Bachelor with the yep. Fantasy Suites. I'm getting Maddie. flashes on this, yep. and I have been... Annoyed about Listen, purity culture yep. all day. You, I'm having flashbacks. When a man refers <laughs> to his daughter flashbacks. as virtuous or pure. So pure. Red flags. 
uh, so many red flags, flags. you could stitch them together into a fashionable blazer. We are not here to, like, shame anyone who waits to have sex, like, anything like that. It's not that. It is the concept of a dad being, like, the keeper of the keys bullshit. That is our problem. Well, it's some and patriarchal it's bullshit. It's so patriarchal that, of course, it's something he gives to her husband. And like, it's like, where's the dowry, man? Where is the fucking dowry? Let's just, like, cut to the fucking chase and just set her up with somebody that you think will be decent. Uh, let's stop playing games here. Exactly. If you, so, yeah. It's different when it's your choice, and no. it's quite a different thing when, like, it's your dad's choice for you. Right. And I think, like, I wouldn't have an issue with Maddie if she, this was a part of her religion. And okay, her, her doogie hauser looking ass dad who was right. like she's so pure right. i had to That's, physically exit the room I, it makes me so uncomfortable i don't like it as yeah so yes i do remember all of this especially in light of all of the things that joe said afterwards makes this feel so kind of icky. icky and we'll get into that i have some things to say about that um so she are the same age of 12 auditioned for the mickey mouse club like many of her future peers in the music industry she auditioned by singing Amazing Grace and dancing to Ice Ice Baby, which is so 1991 in a nutshell. And also feels very on brand for her as well. <laughs> when she made it to the final, she made it to the final round of auditions. She wasn't picked to be in the cast. She claims that she was so nervous after having heard Christina Aguilera sing that it threw her off. She would later try to. I make, would believe that for sure. I mean, Christina Aguilera. When you see those clips of her on Star Search, we'll get into that later too. Like she is just like this 11 year old like. 60 pound child like singing at a James like what are you gonna do with that so later she would try Jessica would try to make a name for herself as a Christian singer with her dad quitting being a minister to become her manager there's this Vanity Fair article from 2009 that puts it best quote he's a fascinating man a minister who quit the church for showbiz or to be precise quit one kind of showbiz for another this article by Rich Cohen is beyond sexist but we'll get into that later Jessica signed to Christian label Proclaim Records as a teenager. The career in Christian rock didn't work out, though, because she was deemed, according to her dad, too sexually provocative. You might all remember this because of a quote he gave GQ magazine in 2004 that said, quote, she's got double Ds. You can't cover those suckers up. Ugh. I've tried to not repeat too much of what we said in our Newlyweds episode, but I had to cover some of this. Her, well, also, especially that quote, the quote it just, because like, it's all I ever think about whenever I con, hear his like, name. What on earth? Her career was also never really launched because Proclaim Records went bankrupt. Huh. And so her album was never released, and it's only because of her grandma helping finance a limited pressing that the album was ever released. So in 1997, Tommy Mottola heard this record and signed Jessica to Columbia Records. He would go on to say that he signed her because, quote, she had this great little look and a great attitude, a fresh new face, and something a bit different than Britney and all of them. She could actually sing. Which, okay, but like... I mean, rude. rude. And also, can actually sing, I yeah, think... That's not fair. Is a little generous. That's very generous. Her debut album, Sweet Kisses, was released November 23rd. We'll I'm sorry, that's like something you say... Culture- that's something you say to your cat. Yeah, I just sweet, sweet kisses. kisses, like and like followed by Eskimo nose kisses. No. Like so, and, and what's interesting to me, you'll I'll get into this. It's not just her dad who kept her on this like virgin pure culture ride. It was also Tommy Mottola. It was very much a part of this. So the album is released November twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. It includes the singles "I Want to Love You Forever," "Where You Are," which was a duet with her then boyfriend, later husband Nick Lachey. From the movie Here on Earth, and by the way, that's that movie where Josh Hartnett and Chris Klein have to repair the restaurant they crashed into and end up in a love triangle with the restaurant owner's daughter, Lily Sobieski, who dies of cancer. I had forgotten about Wait. this movie. 
but it's kind of like love story meets a walk to remember oh my goodness and when i was looking up this movie to remember this whole plot this one guy paul column of la weekly had called the film quote complete another horseshit the plot sounds insane. It's insane. Um, and then I mean, of course, it ends with Lindsay Sobieski dying. I yeah. feel like she was in a slew of movies where she, she just dies at the died, end a lot. Yes, yes. I mean, she was Joan of Arc, so that's a pretty. Well, there's one. There's a big one. <laughs> um, and then the third single was "I Think I'm in Love," which samples John Mellencamp's "Jack and Diane." Oh right, that's yeah. the one. Bop. Like honestly, in this revisit of no, her I totally album, agree. I was like, oh yeah, this still slaps. Let me like listen to this three times in a but row. But I think it's mostly just the sample is it's, what really hooks they you. They did a great job on the sample, I will say. So I did a re-listening, of course, of this album for research, and <laughs> using use that term it's interesting columbia and inevitably matola who was involved in the decision for this like production went for very similar arrangements that his then wife mariah carey would have sung on one of her early albums like these arrangements sound very much like pre-fantasy mariah carey albums like the early 90s and it's weird because like he was marketing her as one of those blonde pop stars, but really kind of seems to have gone for a somewhat Mariah Carey vibe on her album. I well, don't know. it's what he is most successful at producing. For sure, yeah. So why wouldn't you try? I mean, if we learn anything from Lou Pearl, it's like, why wouldn't you try why, to duplicate why try it? To, yeah, exactly. Do and not right. reinvent the wheel. Don't reinvent the wheel. As you might remember from one of our MTV reality episodes where we talked about Newlyweds, it was during this first album and the press and interviews that she did for it where her relationship with 98 Degrees member Nick Lachey would become public, along with her commitment to staying a virgin until marriage. In addition to her coming from a very Christian background, Tommy Mottola pushed this image of her being this like good girl, anti-Britney or anti-Christina, since they had been heavily promoted wearing revealing outfits and having a more mature sex appeal-backed image. So they very much covered her up in comparison and gave her kind of a girl-next-door feel. The album would go on to sell 4 million copies, and at this time, this was considered a disappointment, as it was seen as Jessica was kind of like the bronze medalist. And I even remember, like, an article referring to it this way, like, she was the bronze medalist to Britney's gold and Christina's silver. Their albums were selling bonkers numbers, and by today's standards, 4 million albums would have been, like, a huge success, but this is 1999, where, you know, land of the 10 million, 20 million units is reigning. Nick and Jessica would break up between this album and her next album, Irresistible, which was released in 2001. And this is the album where Jessica adopted a more quote-unquote mature image, and on the album cover, she's wearing a sheer blouse and is raising it to show off her abs. Like, very, it went, like, from one extreme to another. This is also where she began crash dieting, unfortunately, which she details in her autobiography, Open Book. I remember reading in a magazine, like, teen people are 17 around that time, where she was on the Atkins diet. And this girl's like 20, 21 years old, like on the Atkins diet. This departure from innocent, chaste, Christian undertones in her songs to Jessica being a sexy R&B-focused artist proved to be less successful than her debut album, and Irresistible would spawn only two singles, the title track and A Little Bit, and would sell two million copies. She would eventually get back together with Lachey, who she married in October of 2002, and would release her third album in 2003 titled In the Skin. Initially, the album would have the worst sales of her career with the lead single, The Sweetest Sin, an ode to losing her V-card to win her husband, performing poorly. This song is like the creepiest shit ever. It's not good. Not good. The album's trajectory would change, however, when the couple's reality show Newlyweds, Nick and Jessica, would become a ratings juggernaut, and her next single, With You, was a major hit. In the Skin would sell over 4 million records, and if you haven't already, I highly recommend listening to our MTV Celeb Reality episode so I can tell you more about Newlyweds. So I'm going to try to keep it as short as I can as to what caused the couple to split. Here we go. 
Show premiered in 2003 and would air on MTV for three seasons. During this time, Nick and Jessica would also star in the Nick and Jessica Variety Hour in 2004, which featured that insane duet rendition of Who Will Save Your Soul with Jewel. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll put that on the Instagram. <laughs> Jessica would begin her retail empire that year, starting with the Edible Desserts Cosmetic line, which we both <laughs> talked about our own personal anecdotes before regarding that line. Tidbit that I didn't mention during our MTV episode, though, is that she would go on to not only launch a younger version of the desserts line for preteens the following year, but both those lines would be canceled following a string of lawsuits. Because, guess what? People ate the shit out of them and got super sick. Right, but it's also one of those things where that's on you that's for on doing you. that. You're not like, supposed to eat it, it is not as if a, it's a grocery store. <laughs> it's not a substitute for real food. No. It's just supposed to be like if you lick it or kiss it or whatever, okay. it tastes You're, not yeah, terrible. Exactly. In 2004, that's insane. I know. People are dumb. In 2004, she would release her fourth album, Rejoice, as in R E J O Y C E, the Christmas album, which sold half a million copies. And she would launch the Jessica Simpson collection the following year, which started out small but has gone on to earn a reported $1 billion in, in annual sales. Later that year, she started Daisy Duke and the Dukes of Hazard, which made over $100 million at the box office despite having terrible reviews. The music video for the, her rendition of These Boots Are Made for Walkin was actually banned in certain countries for being too sexy. So, which is so dumb if you go back and it, watch it. You're just like, this is the stupidest shit ever. In recent interviews for her book, where she's talked about those pictures from that video shoot, would end up being used for her, like, what happened articles when she gained some weight, which is just horrible. So, like, she just has really kind of negative connotations because, like, she was taking diet pills and all sorts of stuff around that time to stay that thin. As her career was taking off, her husband's dwindled, and after Newlyweds went off the air in 2005, the couple would announce their separation later that year. In this divorce, she had to pay him $12 million because they didn't sign a prenup, and she, she was significantly more successful than him. Post divorce, she would date John. I would say she's still she significantly. Still is. I mean, like, there's he, no. I'm there's sorry. No jet, there's no Nick Lachey shoe collection. I'm so sorry. He's hosting Love Is Blind with his wife, where he has to introduce himself as I'm Nick Lachey, comma obviously, and she is a billionaire. So yeah, no. I think the chasm between their success has remained about the exactly. same. Exactly. Post divorce, she would date John Mayer on and off for almost a year. Who sucks? Yeah, he's. She's described this relationship as toxic. And based on how inappropriate he was in that interview in Playboy where he called her, quote, sexual napalm, I see it. I think we all see it. This was around the time where she began drinking heavily because it made her feel super inferior and dumb when she was with him and he was really condescending. Her next album, A Public Affair, only sold half a million copies. And again, I know I realize half a million is a strong word here or term because any, like nowadays, that would be a success. She also received criticism after she... But it's she, a steep fall from four... For sure. Four yeah, million? Four is that million, what you said? Yeah. For, for your first and third albums, you sold four million records. Yeah, absolutely. She also received heavy criticism after she forgot the words to 9 to 5 when performing for a Dolly Parton tribute at the Kennedy Center Awards later that year. Oh, Lord. She would then date Tony Romo, then quarterback oh, yeah. of the Dallas Cowboys. And okay. then she was called a curse, yeah. too. Okay, as a DC sports fan, fuck the Cowboys and fuck Cowboy fans. And also, fuck Tony but Romo. Fuck Tony, and fuck Tony Romo. But also, these fans were awful to her because their relationship coincided with a time in which Tony Romo just happened to not be doing well. He choked. He choked. It has people, nothing to do with her. People called her Yoko Romo. Like, Well, that's actually pretty good, that's too. That's great, but like, fuck those people. And then our fucking president at the time, George W. Bush, even had something to say about it. He actually said in an interview or a press conference that she was to blame for his lackluster performance. 
Well, that's a little bit harsh for somebody who was a lackluster president, to put it nicely. But he also had money in the Cowboys, so of course he's going to comment on it. Yeah, that's true. She would then make a shift to country music with modest record sales, but ultimately her singing and acting careers kind of hit rough patches towards the end of the decade. Looking back, this woman dealt with so much sexism, and this went beyond just the dumb blonde stereotype. This Vanity Fair article that I referenced earlier was awful. Rich Cohen, if you are listening, you're fucking garbage. <laughs> Quote, the, one of the quotes that stands out to me was, there have been danger signs. First, and this is from 2009, by the way. There are danger signs. First, the sudden weight gain, as evidenced by pictures that turned up in the tabloids earlier this year, showing the starlet on stage looking less than slender, holding the microphone like a turkey leg, and wearing what were described everywhere as mom jeans. Oh, I remember that picture. And it, like, Gossip Magazine started commenting on her weight. Well, I would also say that Perez Hilton was not kind to that photo either. Perez was absolutely not kind. Um, Gossip Magazine started commenting on her weight because of a photo where she, by the way, still looks awesome, is wearing high-waisted jeans, which was, at the time, very on, not on trend because everyone's wearing low-rise. I would say that after this photo, though, despite whatever anybody wants to say, high-rise jeans became popular because I remember going to a Barney's co-op afterwards and Cheap Monday, it's like a Swedish jean brand, had a bunch of brand new high-waisted, they had a bunch of of brand new high-waisted jeans. And I would say, even though people wanted to shit all over her because I think it was an easy, quote-unquote, funny thing to do at the time, she, I mean, she was always sort of like a, she was more trendy or fashion forward than I think people gave her credit for. Later, she was spoofed in an Eminem video. As oh, Jesus. A, like, a, there was, like, a parody of her filling he out wishes. her Daisy Dukes, hiking a cheeseburger to get to Tony Romo that was played by Eminem, which is just, fuck, fuck him. This incredibly sexist article does everything to make her out to be a complete failure, but even in 2009, the Jessica Simpson collection was already a $400 million business, so I don't know what the fuck this guy was talking about. She would start dating Eric well, Johnson. Well, he obviously was not talking about that. Just wanted to make fun of her. Right. Next year, he would start. she would start dating Eric Johnson and would get married four years later and now has had three kids with him. In the last decade, as she's detailed in this book, she dealt with alcohol addiction, weight gain and loss, and was also abusing several types of pills, including diet pills, on and off throughout her career. She's been through hell, and luckily she's been in recovery for a few years. She got sober in 2017 and has had a pretty healthy lifestyle. And also, as a reminder, she lives in the Osborne's house, so... Oh, funny. Yeah, and in the New York Times article, she did recently did an interview for the book. They were interviewing from the house. Huh. But that's just I totally Simpson. forgot she bought that house. Yeah, that's Jessica Simpson. Honestly, I am really happy for her. I It's to kind of revisit with the lens, the pop culture lens that we now have, you know, like a post Me Too and everything. And this is like, we're recording this the week after, the week during uh, Harvey Weinstein's sentencing. And so... Wasn't uh, it just the day they announced it or was, was it yesterday? yesterday. It was okay. yesterday. Um, and, and honestly, I think revisiting all with this lens was just kind of eye-opening as to, like, I remember it, people were rough. I just didn't realize, you know, how rough and how horrible people were to her. So I'm really happy to see her do well. I'm happy to see her have a book that's on top of the New York Times bestseller. We love you, Jessica. Yeah. I think it's super similar how people have now decided to do a little bit of backtracking on media coverage about Jessica Simpson and even Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the two kind of go hand in hand. People have realized that saying mean things actually affects people, which is interesting. Maybe we'll learn that. 
I mean, it, it, there it's amazing. We like celebrity gossip had already already always been pretty bad, but there really was a solid decade because of the Perez Hiltons of the world. Where well, we there were, was just the Perez Hilton. I mean, I mean, I feel like there weren't too many other mean spirited. No, blogs. you're right. I mean, that I mean, I really... suppose in a sense, if you want to take two fug girls for that, but it's more of like a fashion thing. I don't think they ever critiqued somebody no, like you're right. this person's ugly face or like drew jizz on them or but, whatever. But Perez Hilton really kind of took the cake and just yes. went with it and and completely. Was, I think was being so, so openly mean was definitely new, especially for the internet still being new at that time. And yeah. he just sort of normalized it until people decided not to put up with this shit anymore. But yeah. luckily, Mandy Moore doesn't have any Perez Hiltons in her past. I mean, she <laughs> does have one shitty person, but it wasn't something that played out in gossip magazines. I didn't know this, so I don't really go into too much detail about her past because I figured you could look it up or you already know. Um, but one thing that I didn't know that maybe you didn't know is that Mandy Moore was discovered in Orlando by a FedEx delivery man named Victor Cade. What? Who, who had a friend at, in A&R at Epic Records. Cade later sent his friend a copy of Moore's unfinished demo, and she signed with a label. Interesting. Had no idea. A FedEx delivery man. I don't know. I feel like it's just, you know, one of those, like, soda shop stories where yeah. you, you don't ever hear about this kind of shit ever happening anymore. No. But because Mandy has, in the last year, returned to music, and also because we live in a society with rampant nostalgia, and because she contributed to the fabric of 90s pop music, she's been asked a bunch about the beginning of her career, often, over the last few years. And... Up until literally today, she has often denounced her the very discography that I'm about to talk about. She has said in the past, quote, Ugh, those were awful. If I had the money, I would give a refund to everyone who bought my first two albums. Whenever anybody asks, which of your albums should I listen to, I say nothing but coverage and burn the rest. Burn the rest? Mandy, no! Those are classics. They're great. The children must know about pennies in your pocket with nothing but your faith to keep you warm. Some of you more heads out there probably already know that she's about to go on tour for the first time in a decade. And today, in a new interview she released, Citation Needed, I forget where, I think it's Variety, where she took back what she said about her early albums. Her new single, 15, is all about the beginning of her career and how she's so grateful now to it because she wouldn't have a career in music if it wasn't for it. So I'm going to go in chronological... Al uh, I'm going to go in chronological order about her albums. So we're going to start with So Real in 99. So after she signs with Epic, after this fucking FedEx delivery guy discovers her, she starts to work on her album that we will know as So Real. She left high school in the ninth grade to focus on her recording career and, became, and began homeschooling slash tutoring, a common child star practice. And thanks in part to this, in the summer of 99, she met in sync through a tutor. And then later that same year, Backstreet Boys joined them. So she'd later go on to open for both boy bands, probably not in small part thanks to the fact that they already knew her. Her debut single, Candy, was released on August 17th, 1999. It debuted at number 88 on the Billboard Hot 100 and peaked at 41. The single went on to go gold, and it was most successful in Australia, where it peaked at number two and went platinum. Wow. Even though it was a commercial success, she was immediately compared to Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, and Britney Spears, which is something that will dog her throughout her career, at least as a pop star. Here are Mandy's own thoughts on Candy. Even though the producers knew it was going to be a hit, she barely even liked the song. Quote, I didn't like it. Breaking news. I didn't. I just didn't know pop music, and I just I was like, this is it? She was like a theater kid, right? Like, yes. Yeah. She went to like the same acting camp as Natalie Portman. Oh, stage story manner. Thank you. 
When you hear a song like I Want It That Way or Baby One More Time or something where there's like such a great sense of immediacy in terms of, oh, it's a hit song. I think as most people can at, at first listen, if you're tuned to the melodic structure of a song like blah, 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 you can feel like, oh, this is a big hit. But I didn't feel that way about Candy. I just don't think that I connected to it lyrically either. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm missing you like Candy. Even as a 15-year-old, I was like, this is nonsensical. But it, I think it's one of her biggest hits to date. And it's obviously her most recognizable track. In no small part, again, thanks to having it featured in teen rom-coms. So Real was released later that year on December 7th to mixed critic reviews. And she continued to be compared to other teen pop stars of her, I don't want to say generation because... Christina and Brittany are older than her, but she was still lumped in with everybody for, else. For sure. I feel like it was... She those... followed like a pop mold, and yeah. when you do that, it begs comparison. I mean, everyone, every label had one. I mean, Sony had two even, because Columbia was... Sony owned Columbia and Epic, and so they had Jessica Simpson and Mandy Moore at the time. And I think they were signed around the same time. They were, they were. So Real debuted at number 77 on the Billboard 200, and the album eventually continued to climb the chart until it peaked at 31, and then it eventually went platinum. The album's second single, Walk Me Home, which we were talking about the music video before we recorded, is just like... If there ever was a music video that is so beyond cringeworthy, please take a moment and watch Walk Me Home. But a part part of it was a little bit of a ripoff. Again, this when you follow the formula, then you get compared. It reminded me a little bit of Lucky, the Britney video, because she's singing on top of the Alex Theater, which is in Glendale. And then she's, like, walking some red carpet c- premiere, but she's in love and not depressed, so there's there's that difference. But, but. Even, like, during our discussion before to record, we were recording, we started getting Hillary Duff and Mandy Moore's music videos confused. We were like, is that the one in the loft? No, we no, we both got Hillary Duff's videos confused, but I knew which video of Mandy Moore's I was talking about, because Crush, I, I feel like, I don't know what year Crush came out, and I don't know what year So Yesterday came out, but I think that Crush was first, but I, I could be wrong. I think you're right, I think you're right. So if anything, Hillary Duff was inspired, which would make sense would make because she's younger sense. and probably had followed right. Minnie's career. Right. Walk Me Home was released on the same day as the album, so December 7th. The single didn't have the same success as Candy, and it didn't make it onto any major charts. The third and final single was So Real and was released exclusively in certain territories in June of 2000. It was not released as a single in the U.S., but the So Real music video is <laughs> insane. It is big wood nymph meeting Britney's sometimes music video vibes and it was peak pop perfection she has like a little white crop top on and like jeans and she's like singing to no one in particular and she's in like the middle of a forest like how the fuck did she get there and cherry on top Jenna Dewan is a backup dancer in this video oh if you blink you'll miss her though she's like in the back it's and the dancers only happen for a small portion of the music video because Mandy was not really like a dancer especially if you compare her to Christina and Brittany, who were more of a dancer background. Even, I would say, Jessica was not a dancer either. No, she was not. Sorry, seeing her choreography on, I believe, was it Living in Living Color? I can't remember. She was, like, on some, maybe it was Mad TV. Mad TV. TV. She had backup dancers. No, it wasn't. I was like, that's 94. Um, Yeah, it was Mad TV. She had choreography, and it was difficult. Look up that YouTube video. So, fun fact about a background dancer in a famous music video that I only found out recently is if you see that, watch the music video for Macarena, Tracy Ellis Ross is one of the models in the music video. That is so random. I just found this out recently. Anyway. So, before the promotion for So Real had even ended, she had already begun work on her next album, what we would come to know as I Want to Be With You. 
The album's title single, I Want to Be With You, was released in July of 2000, and it became her first single to chart on the Billboard Hot 100 since her debut of Candy. I Want to Be With You spent 16 weeks on the charts, and it reached the peak of 24 during its ninth week. I think being featured on the Center Stage soundtrack probably helped a little bit. It commercialized it. I Want to Be With You, the album, was released in May of 2000, and it was released in more countries than her first album. I didn't really look up which countries So Real was released in, but it was apparently had earned her a spot in being more worldwide distributed. I actually had that one. I didn't have So Real, but I had I Want to Be With You, which had a bunch of remixes. Yes. I... I feel like I had so real, but maybe I didn't. It's it's tough to tell what regions they released it to, but I want to be with you as a more wide release. Received generally mixed reviews because it was critiqued for having mostly remixes and it was not a true follow-up. But that didn't really matter because it was a commercial success. It debuted and peaked at 21 and later went gold. In 2001, she started her third album with the intention to move away from, quote, bubblegum pop. And her lead single off of Mandy Moore from 2001 was In My Pocket, which was released in May. The music video is a hodgepodge of Southeastern Asian culture appropriation. Unfortunately, this departure failed to chart any higher than number two on the bubbling under 100 chart. I rewatched this music video. Seekers, remember when we like gone through all these like what Billboard had at one point or another? It's the lesser charts because the only ones that matter are like the Hot 100, Hot 200 because those are all singles and album charts. Um, the music video I watched for this is, I mean, it's bonkers. She is wearing a really ugly top and crazy printed pattern pants. She's got the biggest pomp you've ever seen. And it is shellacked. And she's doing a lot of hand dancing. It was a lot of hand stuff. You can take the girl out of theater, but you can't take the theater out of the girl. I think she was still super uncomfortable in front of the camera. I mean, she was, what, 17? Yeah, I mean, I would have been no better. In fact, I would have been tremendously worse. Her album was released in June of 2001, and it had pop songs and influences from Middle Eastern music, and it again received mixed to average reviews. It peaked at its debut, which was 35 on the Billboard 200, and later went gold. The album's second single, Crush, was... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Later released in August of the same year. And the music video reminds me of a combo of two Hillary Duff videos, Why Not and So Yesterday. Yep. But I actually think Crush is very cute. It is so it's, cute. It starts out with her in a loft and with a band and she's singing, but then she like falls through the floors of her apartment right. building where she like sings to the, her neighbor that she's in love with. 
Uh, it's a little unclear, but then she eventually ends up in this sort of like Sears backdrop, Sears portrait backdrop of a studio where she sings the remainder of the song. But Crush is very adorable. It, it's an earworm for sure. It gets, definitely gets stuck in your head. Her final single, Cry, was released in November of 2001 to help promote a watcher. Remember, in the video for Cry, <laughs> she is singing to Landon from heaven. <laughs> and I screamed when I figured that. I was like, wait, is this heaven? Uh, it reminded me of the Lifetime movie, Liz and Dick, with yeah. Lindsay Lohan, where I swear to God. So there's that part where she's, like, narrating. Yes. And she's in all black. And so is, what's his face? Um, uh, Rob, what's his Who's name? Who's the guy Richard. who plays Dick? Oh, God. He's a British actor. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. But they're sitting here. And it's basically, like, Mom and Chowns, which is, like, a type of, like, new wave uh, New York theater acting from like the 70s and that's what this music video reminded me of <laughs> so we remember I was talking about the Lily Sobieski cancer movie earlier yes so in the final scene of that movie you see her version of heaven like oh god oh god <laughs> that's like what they end the movie on is her and her version of heaven so I like that reminds me very much of that another cancer young cancer love movie this is the perfect segue into when she made her film debut in 2001, when she voiced a girl bear cub in Dr. Doolittle 2, which oh I didn't God. know that. I think Frankie Muniz was her, like, the brother bear cub to that, her. That would not surprise me. <laughs> Later that year, she co-starred with Anne Hathaway in The Princess Diaries, where she played Lana Thomas, Mia's rival. In the movie, she performs a cover of Connie Francis's 1958 song, Stupid Cupid, while at a beach party, as we all remember. Of course. In 2002, she started to watch her remember. In 2003, she co-starred with Allison Janney and Peter Gallagher in How to Deal, which I loved that movie as a very angsty teen, especially that part where she walks in the rain and she's like, yeah, it doesn't matter, whatever. <laughs> and I watched the movie LOL with Miley Cyrus and Demi Moore, and it seems like a cheap ripoff of How to Deal. In 2004, Mandy Moore co-starred with Matthew Good in Chasing Liberty, another oh, movie I saw in theaters and, and loved. Katie Holmes was in the other President's Daughter movie, which was First Daughter. Yes. It came out around the there same was time. a slew of, like, Daughters of Presidents. Yeah, we yeah, don't my know. My date with the President's Daughter, yep. And later in 2004, she co-starred in Saved and still acts to this day. Obviously, This Is Us is on NBC. Watch it whatever fucking night it's on because I don't watch tearjerkers like that. So the crescendo of her career, in 2003, she began working on her fourth studio album, later revealed to be a cover album called Coverage, which was an album of covers of songs from the 1970s and 80s. Even though no singles charted, it was her most positively reviewed album to date, in, and when I say to date, I mean in 2003. By 2004, she had left Epic Records because of created creative differences and released a best of album to end her contract, which is very commonplace. Demi Lovato did it. I think Selena Gomez did it. A lot of Disney stars, that's how they end their contracts with yep. the Disney album release machine. The compilation did not receive any promotion or participation from her and was not released worldwide, but landed on but landed on the Billboard 200 at 148. There was an additional companion DVD that had more music videos and live performances. And like all good pop stars, she started a fashion line called Emblem in 2005. Oh, right. Described as a contemporary knitwear and cashmere line, <laughs> one of her focuses was selling clothes for taller women because she's 5'10". In February of 2009, she announced that the line would be discontinued, but she hoped to return to fashion under different circumstances in the future. TBD on that. I think she's like best friends with cupcakes and cashmere. Like, is she? Yeah, Emily Schumann. They, uh, she, they're on each other's Instagrams a lot. Oh, I don't know who that is or what she looks like, but I believe you. Yeah. 
A little quick blurb on post-career. Mandy Moore has been largely absent from the music scene since her last album in 2009, Amanda Lee, which is her name, and not for a great reason. In 2019, she told the New York Times that her unhealthy relationship with ex-husband Ryan Adams played a large role in interrupting her music career. He has denied all allegations detailed in the piece. After speaking out, Moore posted on Instagram in 2018 that she was going to get back into music, and it's true. She's going on tour in a few weeks, and her single, When I Wasn't Looking, is very good. 15, I believe, just dropped recently. I haven't listened to it. But go check her out. She's on tour with her husband. I forget what his name is, but he's in that band Dawes, I believe. He is, yeah. Right. And it sounds adorable, and I'm glad that she has returned to music, which she admits is her first love. They're cute together, too. They are very cute. Her wedding was adorable. Her wedding dress was gorgeous. Love it. And I actually, I really do like when I wasn't looking. It sounded really good. It's, I feel like her true sound is sort of like Stevie Nicks light, which I think she's achieving. Right, right. Do you want to get into Christina? Sure. The uh, last blonde pop star. So I have a little bit about Christina's early life. She was born in December 18th, 1980 in Staten Island. Sagittarius, baby. Sag. She was That's born. how she almost tried to punch Pink, telling you right here. She was born to uh, her mother, Shelly Kearns. And, uh, Where's Shelly? Sorry. And her, and her father, yeah, who is an army soldier by the name of Fausto Javier Aguilera. Her father is from Ecuador. What a great first name. Yes. Growing up, she was a military brat, so she lived all over the world, including Japan, Texas, and I believe New York. Well, obviously, she was born in Staten Island. She unfortunately grew up in an abusive household where her father was physically and mentally abusive. When she was six years old, her mom divorced her dad, and Christina, her mom, and her sister, Rachel, went to live with her mom's parents in the Pittsburgh suburbs. Her mom eventually remarried, and they had a son. As a child, Christina Aguilera was drawn to the old blues and soul records that her grandmother had and would practice singing, which is when they figured out that she could sing incredibly well. She was known as the little girl with the big voice in her neighborhood. She ended up winning her first talent show at age eight when she sang Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. At 10 years old, she performed A Sunday Kind of Love on Star Search and was eliminated during the semifinal round. Then she would perform the song again on some local uh, Pittsburgh TV show. And in growing up in Pittsburgh, she sang the national anthem at the Penguins hockey game, at the Steelers game, and at a Pirates baseball game, and then later at the 1992 Stanley Cup Finals. She was going to the local public schools, but actually ended up going to getting homeschooled, but unfortunately it was because she was being heavily bullied. In 1991, she initially auditioned for a position on the Mickey Mouse Club, but she did not meet the age requirement. She was too young, and so she would join the show a year later, and she performed until the show was canceled in 1994. The other people on the show just as a reminder, it's Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Ryan Gosling, Carrie Russell, J.C. Chazay. I think I got them all. That's all of them. That's, I mean, of course, we've talked about this before several episodes. Insane lineup. So after the show ended, she moved to Japan and recorded a duet <coughs> with a uh, famous Japanese singer named Keiso Nakanishi. And in 1998, uh, I'm not going to go into too much because I think this might be your point, but she returned to the U.S. looking for a recording contract. RCA uh, told her that they couldn't sign her at the moment, uh, but to reach out to Disney. To pick up seamlessly where you left off. (laughs) When she initially contacted RCA, they sent her to Disney because they were in the midst of some financial issues, which is really inspiring, I believe. (laughs) 
to get your ass to Disney where they are not financially strapped or in any sort of complicated situation Still ever. Riding off the Pocahontas Little Mermaid, Aladdin Lion Just King, cashing Pocahontas. all those checks. So she recorded Reflection, which we touched upon for Mulan, which was another movie that did gangbusters in the box office. Yes. After Reflection became a big hit, she went back to RCA and immediately was signed by Ron Fair and RCA. According to Aguilera, she landed the Mulan soundtrack and the record deal practically simultaneously within weeks of her turning 17. So I feel like that's an enormous amount of pressure. Yeah. But she seemed ready for it. RCA, using that word pressured, felt pressured by the team pop craze and rushed the production of her debut album. They released Genie in a Bottle on June 22nd, 1999. The single turned 20 last year. Don't worry, I have scheduled an appointment to look at grave plots since I am very near death, apparently. <laughs> Genie in a Bottle was written by Pam Sheehan, Steve Kipner, and Dave Frank, and uses sexual references to talk about the theme of self-respect. Aguilera contributed a spoken hook for the song, commenting that there, quote, wasn't enough time between the Mulan soundtrack and the Christina Aguilera recording sessions for her to provide any sort of lyrical offerings. Originally presented as If You Want to Be With Me, her management suggested the final name of Genie in a Bottle. Prior to being recorded by Christina Aguilera, the track received a lot of interest from the writer's up-and-coming girl group, Innocence, which is spelled I-N-N-O-Sense, like S-E-N-S-E, who felt the band was more likely to make the song a hit. That band was in our Lou Pearlman documentary. There we are. I knew, I knew. Oh, right. Mickey DeLoach, because she was in Mickey Mouse Club as well, and then he was managing, that was his girl group. Oh, it's all connected. It goes straight to the top. Oh, yeah. It received generally favorable reviews. Most praised the song's lyrics and Christina Aguilera's vocals on the track. It peaked on the charts in 21 countries and went platinum. The music video was directed by Diane Martell, who also had directed Mariah Carey's music videos for Breakdown and Heartbreaker. It was among a bunch of other shit. Just look her up. She started out as a choreographer on Broadway and then made her way into music videos. And she shot like Wu-Tang videos. She shot a bunch of hip-hop videos. And also Genie in a Bottle and um, Come On Over, that music video as well for Christina. It was shot in Malibu and you couldn't get it off TRL, establishing Christina Aguilera's strong base of tween fans. Her self-titled album was recorded between 1998 and 1999 and Ron Fair of RCA served as the album's executive producer. The label paid about a million dollars for writers, producers, and voice lessons. The album was built around pop songs against Aguilera's wishes because she wanted to make more of like an R&B album. It was released August of 1999 and peaked at number one on the Billboard 200 and certified eight times platinum. In 2010, it was reported that this debut album had moved 17 million copies worldwide. Wow. Which is fucking crazy. It also produced three other hit singles, two U.S. number one singles, What a Girl Wants and Come On Over. Oh, I'm sorry. Diane Martell directed What a Girl Wants, not Come On Over. My bad. Two U.S. number one singles and... I Turn to You, which is a cover of All for One Song, was in the top five. One of the producers on the album, Guy Roche, produced two tracks, What a Girl Wants and I Turn to You, and co-wrote one of them, What a Girl Wants, alongside Shelly Peekin. Aguilar recorded the All for One Song, I Turn to You, written by Diane Warden, who also wrote Somebody Somebody, which is also a great track that off this album. That is such a good, good deep cut. I feel like as soon as that song came on, I was immediately transported oh, back to my room so in middle school. Good. That song is... That should have been it a hit. is. It should have been a hit. It should have been another single. It, it wasn't even like, released as no, a single. I know. It might have been a B side, but not a single. It has a good key change too. Good stuff. 
Carl Sturikin and Evan Rogers, who would later eventually break into the scene as producers who launched Rihanna's career, which is the only reason why I kept that in there, wrote and produced two tracks, Love for All Seasons and Love Will Find a Way. Fran Gold, who previously worked with Whitney Houston, also wrote a song for Aguilera titled So Emotional, which she had originally written for Selena's album, but unfortunately she died before she could record it. That's a good song, too, though. It is. I, another great... I, I don't like the two Rihanna-produced tracks, but I like no, all the other ones I just like shouted that, out. That, yeah. I mean, What a Girl Wants is a really good song, too. Oh, my God. So good. So the 2000 Grammys. Her self-titled debut was nominated for two Grammys. Best New Artist, which is a cursed category, but she won. She was up against Macy Gray, Kid Rock, Britney Spears, and Susan Tedici? Oh, Tedeschi. Thank like, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tedeschi I'm sorry, but Macy Gray and Kid Rock are two wild Best New Artist nominees to be up against. She was also nominated for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, which she lost to Sarah McLaughlin's I Will Remember You, which is truly the biggest burn of them all. Um, she also was up against Beautiful Stranger by Madonna, Thank You by Alanis Morissette, and Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. So those three are great songs. Yes, everything else is great, but I Will Remember You is truly a shock it's, to my core. It's especially sad. Like, but it's also a punchline to a joke now. Yeah, it is. So she followed all of this up with two more studio albums, Mi Reflejo and My Kind of Christmas, which were released in September and October of 2000, respectively. One, as you can guess, is a Spanish-language album that contained a bunch of re-recorded versions of her original songs from her self-titled American release, and a couple original songs. An anecdote. What? That when that album came out, this girl I absolutely hated in my middle school class. Uh, her mom was Ecuadorian, and so she got to go to the Ecuadorian embassy because Christina Aguilera like did an appearance there. In a oh, that's not fair. Yeah. Well, this album won Best Female Pop Vocal Album at the second annual Latin Grammy Awards in 2001, which is crazy that that was only the second one. The other one you'll be shocked to learn is an album of Christmas covers, because the title basically tells you in My Kind of Christmas, plus a few other dance original Christmas pop songs as well. In support of all of her albums, she embarked on her first concert tour, Christina Aguilera, colon, in concert, from mid-2000 to early 2001. She went through North America, obviously, Europe, South America, and Japan, and according to MTV News, her tour was co-sponsored by Sears and Levi's, and one of her North American opening acts was Destiny's Child. The only other notable opening act to my eyeballs was Toronto's The Moffats, which I had heard a couple of their oh, songs. Oh, God, yeah. I think they were on the Dawson's Creek soundtrack. That must have been exactly why I know that. Yep. Billboard in 2000 recognized Christina Aguilera as one of the top female pop acts of the year. And then we go into Just Be Free, which I was today years old when I learned about this. It's pretty wild. (laughs) Because it really only kind of came onto Spotify in the last couple of years. And although I did listen to Christina Aguilera's latest release, Accelerate from 2018, I didn't like scroll down the page or anything, so I didn't notice that this was here. So... To get into, like, the just be free of it all, like, just getting into the cliff notes, essentially what happened is we have to go back to the new Mickey Mouse Club. She knew she wanted to get a record deal at the end of filming this. So she started working on some demo tracks with various producers, hoping to have an album all ready to go by the time she finished high school. She began working with these New Jersey-based producers, Robert Aleka and Michael Brown. The pair eventually built a relationship with Christina and her family, offering her studio time. They told her that the demo recordings that she produced would be their property, but also that they would never commercially release the material. She recorded about 11 quote-unquote rough and unfinished tracks, which then went on to become Just Be Free studio sessions. In mid-2001, Warlock Records, obviously looking to capitalize on her success and 
current hotness trajectory that was going on right around then, released Just Be Free, then Christina filed a lawsuit against them and the album's producers to stop the release. The- I, re- I remember when that album was released because it she took a lot of time between her first and second release. Like the self, like the main self-titled debut, like there were there's Christmas album, Me Reflejo, and all that. But between like, but Christina those we Aguilera, can both agree are both like reheated right, things. Right, right, they right, were but, not all original songs. So like, and the other, but the the cycle for like the other blonde pop stars was was a much quicker second album. Release. Sure, yeah. And so I think a lot of people were confused when this album came out. They thought that this was the new Christina Aguilera album. Well, the two parties finally, and I think honestly, what I don't like about this is like the skeezy producers who clearly saw an opportunity yeah. and decided to take advantage of it. That's just gross to me. But whatever. In the end, the two parties came to a confidential settlement to release the album in which Christina lent out her name, likeness, and image under the condition that the label would have to include a letter written by her in each album released. So it basically said, like, you know, this is, like, my demo. She basically just explains where her head was at and what's going on and then allowed them to release it. Since November 13th of 2015, the album has been available to stream on Spotify and Deezer, whatever the fuck that is. Around this time, despite her success, Christina is displeased with the music and the image that her manager, Steve Kurtz, had aligned her to. And she felt unable to control her image. So in October of 2000, she filed a breach of fiduciary duty lawsuit against Kurtz for improper, undue, and inappropriate influence over her professional activities. After terminating Kurtz's services, RCA hired Irving Adzoff as Aguilar's new manager. And this is also when Aguilar started to take first steps in artistic control with 2001 Moulin Rouge cover of Lady Marmalade. It was a collaboration between Pink, Maya, and Little Kim produced by Missy Elliott and Rockweiler. RCA executives initially opposed her recording Lady Marmalade because they thought it was quote-unquote too urban, which is Remember which people... is essentially the pop equivalent of a sports person calling someone a gym rat, which is just like, cool, cool, got it, got it. Remember when people used to just be subtly racist? Like, I just, uh... I don't even know. I don't know if it's better or worse. But oh, Aguilar God. ultimately managed to record the song, obviously, and it topped the Billboard Hot 100 for five weeks based on airplay alone, which you could not escape this no. song either. No. It became the first airplay-only track in history to remain on the, char- the chart's top spot for more than a week, which is pretty fierce competition. It won Best Pop Collaboration Vocals at the 44th Annual of Grammys, and so old white guys got it wrong once again. This is around the time when a feud began between Christina Aguilera and Pink. So, <laughs> as I heard, we'll have more on this later, but as I heard Pink talk about it during her Behind the Music episode, like, 10 plus years ago, Ron Fair, who I guess wasn't her manager, but was... He was her A&R guy her A&R at RCA. guy. So, he came to the recording session of Lady, Lady Marmalade and the video set and insisted Christina would sing... He was just like, hey, cool, cool, cool. Okay, Christina's going to sing this part, this part, this part, this part. And Pink was just so taken aback by it. But this is where what's funny is, like, like looking back now, she would probably say that she was mad, more mad at him than she was at Christina. But, of course, mm-hmm. she deemed it as she was pissed at Christina. Um, luckily, Pink fought for her lines and Lady Marmalade and everyone got a solo in it. But that's, like, when their feud started. Her ownership of her music career would continue on into the recording of her next album, Stripped. She would serve as the album's executive producer and co-wrote most of the songs. She named the album Strip and explained that the title represented, quote, a new beginning, a reintroduction of herself as an artist in a way. People would perceive, however, that the album's title was a reference to the Extina image that she would portray during most of this album's release cycle. 
The lead single, Dirty, spelled with two R's, was meant to serve as an introduction to her shift from pop princess to different kind of artist. It featured Redman, as the song was written and produced in the likeness of his song, Let's Get Dirty, I Can't Get in the Club. In September 2002, it was released with a music video, of course, directed by Dave LaChapelle, who we've talked about countless times on this podcast. Mm -hmm. In it, Aguilera wore assless chaps Mm -hmm. and a um, micro miniskirt and was in a sexy cage wrestling match. It premiered September 30th, 2002 on making the video and was described as, quote, a post-apocalyptic orgy. The video That's a way to describe it, I suppose. <laughs> the video, it was, I and I don't think anyone had ever seen anything like it. Certainly not, like, of, like in my teenage, early teenage self, um, I don't think I'd ever seen, like, a pop singer, to, like, that I could remember shift so quickly. And also just, I, like... I, I feel the declaration of yeah. I'm not a goody two shoes. That's right. Let's bang Let's or bang. whatever. It was it was overwhelming. Almost. It was too. I mean, it just she went polar opposite. She Miley Cyrus. I mean, she well, Miley went, Cyrus. We'll go into that. Yeah. Miley Cyrus, Christina Aguilera, obviously, yeah, for but sure. and that's the only other she, comparable pop person for, I have. For sure. And so, like, I, you know, I and I wrote something about this in that she is looking back. She is the one. Who wrote the book on how to go from Disney Channel star to manufactured pop star to an artist on their own terms? Mm-hmm. Though she was heavily criticized for the Xtina persona, she got to take care, take herself out of this manufactured image that RCA had created for her. You can see this career trajectory in Rihanna, Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They all kind of went started out as these kind of perfect pop pop R and B artists that had been perfectly manufactured by whatever their label well even everybody that you just listed were former disney stars exactly and so and and so they all went from that to kind of went to another extreme and then found their like kind of where they were in the the spectrum of it all along the way the video was deemed super controversial the video for dirty since it portrayed several sexual fetishes including mud wrestling and, and furries Protests also occurred. She was ahead of her time. She was way ahead of her time. Protests also occurred in Thailand because there were Thai language posters that you can see in the background of the video that translate to, quote, Thailand sex tourism and also young underage girls. Wow. Yep. Dave LaChapelle has stated that he didn't know what the posters stated. And um, ultimately, the distributor of Aguilar's Records in Thailand banned the video from Thai TV. Aguilar's new image presented in the video was widely criticized by the public because they believed that it began to overshadow her music. She defended her new image by saying that, quote, I'm in the power position, in complete command of everything and everybody around me. To be totally balls out like that is, for me, the measure of a true artist. And looking back, it's kind of true. Like, would I have gone to this extreme? Probably not. I do think that that SNL parody with Sarah Michelle Gellar was really funny. Where she went from um, saying that, like, the record, you know, she went from being what the record label wanted to perceive as a hoe to being an actual hoe. Like, it was a little of its time, but, like, it was very extreme. But I see where this came from. If I were 21, 22, and I'd been put in the position that she had been put in, right. I don't have know to what remember I how young everybody for sure. was. For sure. Stripped was released the following month in October 2002. The themes on this album are about self-empowerment, sex, gender equality, and she even talked about the abuse that she and her mother dealt with in the song I'm Okay, which she recorded while lying down on the ground fighting back tears, and, like, was re-listening to that song recently. It's, it's so, so sad. The album peaked at number two on the Billboard 200 and has sold over 10 million copies worldwide. The second single from the album, The Ballad Beautiful, received 
all sorts of acclaim for its empowering lyrics about embracing inner beauty and has become an anthem for the LGBT community. It was the album's best charting single. And I think in some ways it really has become kind of Christina's swan song like that. I, or not swan song, but like it, it is her, I think her signature song in some ways. Yeah, you think over Genie in a Bottle? Um, I feel like if I were doing the Christina's greatest hits tour in Vegas, I would open with Genie in a Bottle, and then I would close with Beautiful. That's very good. And I think that also uh, Damien from Mean Girls, his cover oh. of Beautiful. We're literally <laughs> looking at a pin of Damien as we're talking about Is this. also a huge factor for... Of course. Because totally. when did Mean Girls come out? Like 2004? So yeah, it had a resurgence right after, like, in popularity. Just like that woman who the fake finished the lyrics video with that woman that sang Shallow and then Shallow like all of a sudden recharted, recharted again. Recharted, yep. Yep. So a little bit more about beautiful because it's a really interesting just like how it came about so it would win best female pop vocal performance at the 46th annual grammy awards in 2004 it was written by linda perry who is um, a songwriter and best known as the former lead singer of the band the four non-blondes she initially played it for pink when she was recording her second pink's second album misunderstood because she also worked with pink yeah exactly so she on on pink's second album there were several uh linda perry uh, pen tracks including i think get this party started and um i believe i'm blanking maybe don't let me get me is another one of those um perry initially wanted to keep the track for herself but when she and christina were also starting to write together she had christina sing it just to kind of quote break the ice Perry loved her recording so much and decided that rather than recording it herself, she um, would keep that demo of Christina singing it, and that is actually what you hear on the album. She, Aguilera, wanted to re-record the song because she didn't like the initial vocals, but Perry denied that request because she was talking about how that song is about being vulnerable and about imperfections, and ultimately, I mean, you hear the track, it's incredible to think that that was like a first take. Uh, Christina Aguilera and Pink already had a a feud from when they had recorded Lady Marmalade, (laughs) and this only added fuel to the fire. Great. Ultimately, though, as we watched prior to recording this episode, Pink has talked about how this feud has been over for a long time on Watch What Happens Live. She said that, quote, women have to learn how to support each other. It's not taught to be nice to each other in the playground. Said that... Apparently, when they were younger, they Christina Aguilera swung at her in a club and was laughing about it on Watch What Happens. But according to Pink, there are no hard feelings between them now. She said, quote, she is so talented about Christina. She is so talented. And deep down, I've had bad days, too. She's a really sweet person. We made up on The Voice. I hadn't seen her in years and years and years. We became moms. We grew up. We hugged it out. It's that simple. I feel so good about that. And that was really nice to read, to hear, and just see. I'm, I'm happy to see two pop stars of our time be friends. It'd be ridiculous for them to continue this feud. For sure, for sure. Strip would be followed by three other singles um, after Beautiful, Fighter, Can't Hold Us Down, and The Voice Within, all of which were released in 2003 and entered the top 40 in the Billboard Hot 100. During promotion of Strip, uh, Aguilera cultivated this new alter in this alter ego image, uh, known as X Tina, dyeing her hair black, debuting several new tattoos and piercings. During this time, she had twelve piercings, including her vagina, navel, tongue, lower lip, ear, and right nipple. Which, <laughs> on that last one, I don't know if that's like a signature or something. I don't know. Anyway, she would go on to the road with Justin Timberlake, co-headlining the Justified and Strip tour from June to September of two thousand three, and that is because year prior justin had released 
Justify, which we both agree is the best of the Timberlake albums. She would later go on to headline her solo strip tour throughout the end, through the end of the year. And then in 2003, uh, the MTV Video Music Awards, she and Britney Spears would kiss Madonna during their performance of Like a Virgin in Hollywood, which received considerable media attention. As I said earlier, looking back on this album, I think people saw this as, you know, nothing but a publicity stunt to kind of have these crazy uh, revealing outfits and to kind of say, like, just go from one extreme to the other. But like I said, I think she really wrote the book on how to go from a manufactured pop star to crazy, sexy, what have you. And then crazy, kind of, sexy, cool, crazy, sexy, cool. And just kind of writing it out on your own terms. In some ways, kind of revisiting this album, I realized that a lot of this reminded me a little bit of Salt and Peppa. Like, they had rapped and sang about sex positivity very early on throughout the late 80s and early 90s. Like, these lyrics from Can't Hold Us Down, at one point she says, quote, the guy gets all the glory, the more he can score, while the girl can do the same, yet you call her a whore. And that's been a constant theme in Christina's music since this album, where she will call out this double standard. And that, I feel like, is very ahead of her time, because I feel like at that time, there were not many of the blonde pop stars doing that. So I do think Stripped was ahead of its time. I think it's gotten more, it's risen in popularity as time has gone on. For sure. I think that again, similar to like Jessica Simpson, they just sort of want to put her in this box as like a dumb blonde pop star. And that's all you'll ever be. But she's always sort of fought to be, well, she has not, she has always fought to be more than just that. And I think that people have finally took her seriously you know, years after, and it wasn't fair, and I think that true heads know that Stripped is really good and is definitely probably her most personal album she's yeah. ever had. Yeah, absolutely. Now she's just cruising on The Voice, which, she, like, good for Well, actually, sure. she's not even on The Voice anymore. But she had a consistent gig for several years. And, and I think now she's in Vegas, right? She's, she's doing her own because, um, in Vegas. I remember on New Year's, the place that we were at, they had the whatever Dick Clark New Year's Eve show, and they cut to a pre-recorded performance of Christina Aguilera from her Vegas from residency, her Vegas res- which I would totally see her oh, Vegas I would see residency. Too. I want to see her in Gaga, and then there's also a drag queens one that I want to see too. Uh, it would be fantastic, honestly. That's like, so much money right there. That's like three, at least three hundred dollars in tickets, easily, easily. I mean, good for her. She's getting like I. We've said this a billion times on the show. Having a Vegas residency is quite frankly the best situation as an artist. And you we can all thank our Canadian a, queen, she, Celine Dion, for popul- for making it popular Pioneer, and acceptable Pioneer, she and for Cher. you to just post up in Vegas and, and have your fans come to you. Deliver, I would say phone, phone it in. in. But deliver, you know, just be able you to just deliver the same performance every night. No one's expecting you well, to there's go also out no, of your way. There's no unexpected no, shit that's going to come up. Not. You're in the same theater. You it's know, inside. There's no weather. You know exactly. You like, can make... A really cool visual show for your fans because exactly. you don't have to worry about transporting it all no. the time, breaking it down, setting it up. I think it's the best of both worlds. Uh, and touring is just so awful and long, and it just doesn't seem fair, especially no. some of these acts that you really love now have families, and you don't want to make them spend months Absolutely or a not. year of time Absolutely away. Not. Unless they're like, I don't know, the Black Keys or whatever who seem to want to get away from their families. All the time. Poor Michelle Branch. <laughs> whatever she's fucking number three if you didn't fucking learn from the other two i do not feel bad for you that's true that's true but anyway that is a different topic that is for the other iconic couplings (laughs) episode i feel like we've kind of talked them you know about peak christina i mean obviously there was back to basics in 2006 um 
she released that album. It was a double Which we album. both agreed did not need to be a double album. It did not need to be a double album. Re-listening, that album could have been all killer, no filler on one album. And um, I still enjoy that album pretty, like, at least half of it. <laughs> um, and then she released Bionic a few years later. And then I'm trying to remember the other ones. Lotus, um, which Lotus, we both yep. said that we didn't listen to. No, not really. And then I listened to Liberation, which was her last album in 2018, which it was, it was good. It was yeah. Probably the most R&B heavy she's gone in a long time. But also, I could be totally wrong because I didn't listen to Lotus. So maybe that's more R&B heavy and I'm missing out. But as you said earlier, I mean, her biggest focus in the last 10 years has really been she was on The Voice for many years as a judge and then or as a mentor. And later, uh, she did the was, biggest residency. No, she was a judge. She had, or, like, her team and stuff. Well, no, so not a judge, but, like... They are coaches on The Voice. Okay, then a coach. But, yeah. like, mentors are different because then they bring in actual mentors they do, towards right, the right, end. You're right, you're right, sorry. So, they, yeah, they, I guess they're, like, it's like a judge-slash-coach role. Anyway, yes, yes. You've seen The Voice. You it's, fucking know what we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Um, and what's funny is that she is was on that show with Carson Daly, which, if you remember, oh, got right. fucking T- Eminem. TRL. TRL reuniting. And then, like, Eminem's lyrics uh, to, what is it, Real Slim Shady? What was that one? Carson Daly and Fred Durst, and hear them argue over who she gave head to first. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't remember. I, I, I forced that. I can re- that I remember. I can recall the music video because he's like sitting in an oh. auditorium and Triumph the sh- the dog comes up to him. I just remembered that Fred Durst and insult Christina comic Aguilar dog <laughs> Triumph the insult comic. Dog. Could not remember that whole thing's name. Wow, what a time! Like that, I I didn't need to remember, but now I do. And right, now- and then he also had that. Piss poor Christina Stanton. Uh, oh, whatever. that was awful. Yeah. We gave people too much credit 20 years ago. We gave too much, we gave men too we much credit. We gave men way too much credit. Except for Carson Daly, who was apparently an angel. He's, he seemed wonderful. I'm glad that he still rocks the black nail polish, even on the Today Show every once in a while. I know, I can't believe he's made his way out of the Today Show. What a trajectory. What a trajectory. God bless. The Mandy Moore of MTV VJs. Really? <laughs> just flying under the radar doing whatever he wants. And just being a nice, all-around nice person. You never hear anyone who's like, man, that Carson Daly's a real dick. Like, no. No, and all I've ever heard about Mandy Moore is that she's the nicest, sweetest person. And uh, who's, like, extremely down-to-earth. Could, could not expect anything and, else. Yeah, it, I, if you listen to Keep It, then you know, because they've talked about it, that she was on Keep It. They had just met her there, and then she immediately invited Ira and Louis to her birthday party. And they went, and they're like, she's just so nice. There's, like, nothing you can ever say. You know, top ten white woman. What can you say? Well, I think we've talked about these three blonde pop stars. I mean, at least we could go on and on because there is quite a bit to unpack. So but this is, like, a really good cliff notes of all of these blonde pop stars who were not Britney Spears, but who were all in the same class, the, cl- the Mickey Mouse Club class, even though Mandy and Jessica were not in that. Technically, but it's all they were adjacent. of the same time. If you enjoyed listening to the Stroll Down Memory Lane, we have good news for you, especially if you like to read words. We have a Medium page, which is our blog, uh, at The Old Millennials Pod, where we talk about this recent episode, or the episode of the week. We have a couple of blog posts up there that are companion pieces to our current episodes that are out and we would encourage you to read and share and whatever it is that people do with medium blog posts also if you enjoyed this podcast make sure you subscribe and you rate and review us because it helps other people find it another great way to let other people know about this podcast would be to tell them about it like to their face and if you love the social meds because don't we all we are on instagram at 
The Old Millennials Pod. And on Facebook at... The Old Millennials Pod. And then you can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Marge, she wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until then, make sure you keep up those whisper tones for your Jessica Simpson karaoke covers. <sighs> Goodbye. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.